Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, Roasting in Tucson, PK. Mm-hmm. How are you doing tonight? For sure. Are you roasting still? Of course. We're going to be roasting for a while yet, I tell you. It's crazy. <laughs> What's the temperature now? I'm afraid to look. I've stayed inside all day. Because just to make it to the mailbox, I feel like I've been in the Sahara Desert. It's been terrible. But I have to admit, my uncle and my son called me from California, and they had 121. What? Yes, that was yesterday. Oh, my God. Good, not good at all. (laughs) This is, my uncle lives down near Ventura Beach. He said, this is incredible never as long as he's lived there has has it ever been that hot no that's crazy and you know our friend renee burnett who was on the show a few weeks ago with the lizzie borden show she had 117 where she was and they lost power my god poor oh dear lord yeah you can't fan your your hand fast enough to get cooled off of that one (laughs) good lord i know i gotta call her got to make sure she's still okay, my goodness. So, yeah, it's been been very strange weather out there in the West, and, of course, now fires, which is just Oh, the fires are terrible. You know, I hate to say this, but it's like the fires in Oregon and the ones in Washington State. I wonder if that's God's way of paying them back for all the damn stuff they've been doing to the building. I wonder why. Whatever. I know. It's it's so sad, especially for wildlife, I think, and people obviously losing their homes. It's, It's terrible. It's a... It's a shocking and frightening event. So we send our prayers to everybody out in the West Coast. And Most definitely. Most definitely. Hope that this is resolved very, very quickly. So tell us, what's going on with the numbers? We've had a crazy ride for well, a while. So and we still happening? will. Okay. Today's really strange because we're in a four-universal year, in a four-universal month, in a four-universal day. Uh-oh. All Sounds like trouble. Come on. Uh, it definitely is. It's restriction, limitation, and uh, the need to pull everything together. And it is very difficult because a lot of people are angry, and we're seeing that with the bickering in the streets. People are so unkind to one another. Not everybody. You've got the, the have and the have-nots, the good and the not-so-goods all ongoing at the same time. But it's just been terrible. And then also today, Mars goes retrograde until the 13th of November. And any time Mars is around, it's a warring planet. It fuels the anger. And we already know that the four is angers, restrictions, and limitations. So all these things are going to start to double up around us. 
Uh-oh. But uh, the, the whole month of September is going to be with challenges, opportunities we've had. They're going to be intensified, but the challenges are certainly going to be intensified. It's certainly going to be a lesson that will be a learning time, that's for sure. Well, you know, it was and so was, helpful last time. I just wanted to let you know, when you talked last week about people were going to be feeling more irritated over nothing and mm-hmm. and over something. I mean, it doesn't matter. You just would feel more irritated. And I caught myself feeling that way this week. Oh, yeah. And I bit my tongue. I said, don't go there and just stay grounded. And it really helped to be forewarned by what you were saying. This energy was going to stir up. So thank you for sharing that with everybody. Today is intensified, and we know that we're going to have feelings like this until the 13th of November. And it's, you know, shake, rattle, and roll. And somebody called me, and they said, well, is there anything good going on? And I said, well, <laughs> Trump was nominated for the uh, Nobel Prize, 20, oh, that's uh, right. 21 Nobel Prize, so for his Israeli-UAE uh, deal. So that that's, is, yes. that's positive for our side. That is positive. Anytime there's peace, that's a good thing. Oh, God, isn't that the truth? That is oh so true. But someone asked me, they they were wondering about the things with cemeteries and graveyards with Halloween coming up. And I said, well, let me take a look at something. And I didn't know this until I was checking on something else. Uh, graveyards and cemeteries are different. And that a graveyard joins a church the cemetery stands alone. No, and you kidding. cannot I didn't know that either. How about it? I, oh, and you can't put ashes in a uh, cemetery. I, I mean, you can put ashes in a cemetery, but you cannot put ashes in the church graveyard. Uh huh. And I thought, wow. Oh. Well, that's very interesting. And as we are well, approaching October uh, and Halloween and all yeah. of those spooky things, well, huh. so, so many people trying to make. I hate to put it this way, arrangements for the loss of relatives and people and all the things that have been going on with the pandemic. Uh, I had never thought about that there would be places that you could not put those that you care about or love in the mm-hmm. way that you would want. Exactly. So, hey. so hang on to the side of the boat, folks. We've got a heck of a ride going. We sure do. Well, thank you for your insight the month again. Over. Yeah. Oh, Remember gosh. this month? Reviews this year. Just keep that in mind. Okay. Stay grounded, everybody. <laughs> and That's make right. sure Hang you... on to the side of the boat. Woo-hoo. That's right. That's right. I know when we talked to Captain Kramer, I said, well, I'll fasten my seatbelt. He said, That's not going to help. <laughs> so <laughs> we will be bringing Captain Kramer back. We've had a lot of requests for him to return mm-hmm. to the show. So I believe we're going to have him if he's available because he's a busy guy in the next couple of weeks. So we'll let you know about that. And be sure to visit our Facebook page and like us, follow us. We've got great stories there, some really excellent videos. People have been capturing some amazing things on video and posting them. So we have some of them up there for you to look at and read about. So go to our Facebook page for that. And, oh, my goodness, just so much going on. If you need a numerology reading, I think you do. Make sure you contact Patricia Kirkman. You can find PK at patriciakirkman.com. You can also find her on our website, supernaturalgirlswithaz.com. If you want any kind of dream analysis, soul realignment, or any kind of 
but coaching, then you know you can call me. And I'm on the website as well. So just let us know if there's any support we can give you during this challenging time. So tonight, We certainly are available to help, that's for sure. Oh, gosh, yes. That's what we do. Besides entertain people with great guests. And tonight we've got a great guest. For sure. Yes, we have Mike DeMonte, and he is the author of some terrific books, the one that we just read, Punk Rock and mm-hmm. UFOs, Stranger Than Fiction. Terrific book. Everybody, you got to read it. It's tremendous. And Mike goes into some detail and offers insights with exclusive interviews that he has had. We're going to hear about some of this tonight because it was so interesting we're going to hear about Skinwalker Ranch, Whitley Stryber, Tom DeLonge. We have all kinds of things and people to talk about tonight with Mike. Now, he is also the author of the books Punk Rock and UFOs, True Believers, and Punk mm-hmm. Rock and UFOs, Cryptozoology Meets Anarchy. So, anyways, excellent book that we're going to be talking about tonight. And also, Mike has worked for the Houston Chronicle as a copy editor, writer, reporter, web producer. He currently produces their Miked music blog and has interviewed bands and musicians all over the place. And now he is going to be talking to us. But also, one more thing. He is a teacher. He currently teaches journalism and English in Houston. And he's with us tonight. Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's such a fascinating book, Mike. Tonight. Yeah, it's, it, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Yeah, this is a book everybody should read. It, it's it's very interesting because I, I don't know if you know our tagline, but our tagline is where paranormal is normal. I mean, we have felt along mm. with you that many of these things, if not all of them, have been maligned and placed outside the realm of what we think is real but it's all real so what drew you to this what got your attention so as a kid i mean i was always into you know comic books you know scary movies uh science fiction fantasy um yeah just as a kid so once i started reading um, non-fiction texts that were kind of about the subject of, you know, UFOs and, you know, Bigfoot. Um, I was kind of drawn to it because it felt like it piqued my imagination, but I was learning something at the same time. So that kind of really drew me to, to being interested in this stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was always interested in it. And as I got older, you know, every once in a while I'd read a book here and there, but I wasn't like hardcore into it. Um, probably until I got older and I, I saw a sighting myself, which is, you know, everybody always wants to hear, but it was just the traditional uh, orbs moving in, you know, crazy directions and then disappearing, you know, defying physics as we know it. So, um, you know, it's funny. I always say the traditional sighting because it's so common. You know, people don't even, people don't realize how common those sightings are. Yes, you're right. Now, have you had your own experiences um, with the unknown? The UFO sightings. Just UFO sightings. Um, uh-huh. That is it. I haven't had anything else. Now, you talk in your book about a number of subjects that we're very fascinated by and our audience is fascinated by as well, mm-hmm. including uh, Ron Moorhead and Bigfoot. So let's start with Ron. He's been on the show, and we've played his recordings of Bigfoot. They're fascinating, and, my God, they go right through you. It's 
it's so Isn't amazing. That the truth? <laughs> <laughs> really. But what is what are your thoughts on that and tell us more about Ron's thoughts on Bigfoot as well. So it's interesting cuz like Ron is like an old you know he's like an old school investigator, you know, out in the woods searching and he's really kind of you know, in his book, The Quantum Bigfoot, he's really started to look at the other potential of uh, what uh, Bigfoot could be. And I met Ron probably about two years ago. Um, we were both shooting a pilot for a TV series that never came to fruition. And I was one of the judges, and he was like the guest. And mm-hmm. he was basically pitching. And I've, I've heard of him before. I, I, I knew the name. And, um, you know, he presented his evidence to us and stuff, and I was able to meet him and talk to him. He, had a, he gave me a copy of his book. Really nice guy. And when I was writing uh, Changes in Fiction, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, how Ron, is, you know, kind of grew up as an old-school guy in terms of this, in terms of his research, but he was able to evolve and progress and be progressive in thinking um, with, with, with this subject. So I definitely wanted to include... Yeah, some of his beliefs for sure. And what is the thought about Bigfoot? What has he come to? Because I don't think he had had the. No, I know he didn't write the book by the time he was on the show because we had him on several years back. So mm-hmm. quantum Bigfoot implies uh, an inter- interdimensional connection. Is that what he's yeah, referring absolutely. to? Well, he's referring to it, it's. It may not be this biological, physical thing like we expect. So there, there may be a, a quantum physical uh, aspect to it. It may be interdimensional. It may not be of this earth. And, you know, you think when you say something like that, you know, if you, you know traditional Bigfoot explorers may think that's, that's crazy, but it's, it explains a lot in terms of how elusive it is. And you could actually rely that to other cryptids, too, like uh, Nick Redfern's book, book Nessie, basically implies that even like the Loch Monster, if it's real, could be something – interdimensional as well. And, I mean, that speaks volumes to how elusive these cryptids are. Oh, they are so elusive. My gosh. And I thought something that you wrote about was quite interesting in your book when you quoted Ron as saying something to the effect of that Bigfoot had possibly bred with humans, and as they did that, it changed them too, so that they became more, some of them became more human, some of them not. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's interesting. It also goes by, you know, the what some people believe, you know, hybrid theories with, uh, you know, aliens and humans and some other stuff. That's, you know, like when you have this conversation with most people, they'll probably look at you crazy. But, um, I mean, there's, there's people who believe it for sure. Yeah, and, again, there seem to be varying reports of Bigfoot that are aggressive and dangerous to humans and steal, kidnap children. And then there's reports of Bigfoot helping lost children. It's, I mean, it, it runs quite a gamut, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, and I would compare that to basically, I mean, say that about any species or any animal. You know, not one human being behaves the same way or not one animal behaves the same way. So potentially, you know, a cryptid may act different too. I mean, I think people, most people assume from your know, reports that usually these things want to be left alone and they're usually just kind of passing through and, and that's it. But then again, I mean, you can say the same thing about if you're walking and you see a stray dog, a stray dog may come up to you and lick you and or a stray dog may come up and attack you. So I think it's, you know, I think you could apply that to, to cryptids too. 
Well, I think you're right. Uh, just recently we heard of a story, and it's on our Facebook page, about um, a wolfman attacking someone. And we had not mm-hmm. heard of that before, of an attack. We had heard of sightings, things like that. But much like Bigfoot, these things would come and go through portals, disappear, never to be seen again by that particular group of people. But this was an actual report of an assault. I mean, it was very frightening. But, again, I guess you're right. You know, there's there's all kinds of experiences you can have with anybody or anything. So it makes sense what you're saying. Yeah. There's not just one category. And I think there's not just one category of Bigfoot. It seems like there's more than one. I think that's yeah, the hardest surprise. Say that again, yeah, no, TK? I was saying that's the part that's so surprising because there is no norm to any aspect of this. Every time you think you've got it honed in and you've got an idea of what it really is, then all of a sudden you're throwing a curve. It's coming from another direction again. Yeah. Yeah, like that recent attack. So, yes. But anyway, so with Ron, now refresh my memory. Has he had direct encounters with something that was physical with Bigfoot or just Um, the sounds? So I I believe the sound was the closest he's gotten, but Mm -hmm. um, he he may have had a sighting since I can't remember off the top of my head. I know I didn't write about it in the book. I just really focused on the sounds and his beliefs, but he may have at some point, like don't quote me on that, but in some point he, he may have seen something, but I know in terms of like evidence, something that's, quantifiable and you can study the the Sierra sounds this is a big thing. Yeah, yeah, and those sounds are incredible. And he his camp was way, way out there in the middle of nowhere. Um I mean so remote. So I can imagine that at first this was a little bit frightening for for him and who whomever he brought out there. Yeah, like you make a good point about, you know, a lot of times these sightings are remote because I think people fail to realize, you know, just how vast and how big our country is and, and the, mm-hmm. you know, the forests and, and, and stuff. Because if you ever watch the um, small town monsters on the trail of Bigfoot by uh, Seth, uh, Seth Breedlove and the small town monsters crew, they do a fantastic job of um, just showing just how, how vast it is and like for actually have a investigation and to try actually try to find something, how hard it is. Cause I think, you know, a lot of mainstream paranormal TV doesn't show you that. You know, like, it, it's, they do a lot of stuff just for the camera. But, you know, the years ago I interviewed, uh, one of the first people I ever interviewed for my website was Erin Ryder from Destination Truth. And she did a really good job of, you know, laying it out. Like, think about it, you know. A, a TV crew goes out there for a weekend to shoot whatever they shoot. And how do you expect in a weekend to find something so elusive? Exactly. Right. I'm amazed they could even make a show out of that. Yeah, you're able to put together enough content for sure. Yeah, I think that's quite challenging. <laughs> but Bigfoot is, is an amazing, amazing creature, and we know so little. But yet there has been government uh, interest in Bigfoot. And I know you're probably very familiar with David Polite's work. and. Mm-hmm. Some of the people who've disappeared in the wilderness, never to be found, seen again, and 
all of a sudden there are Green Berets on site searching the area. It's like, why are they there? There seems to be some knowledge that our government has, and I know you talk about a little bit about secret government programs. Do you think the government has some awareness of this? I, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, I previously didn't think that, but so years ago um, in Austin, Austin, Texas has, um, it's called the Museum of the Weird. And uh, they have like the Minnesota Iceman there, which is fake. It's not real. Um, but one of the stories that they tell is how uh, they're explaining how they were able to acquire it and, you know, how, how hard it was, how many people, uh, you know, try to sell it and buy it and then kind of, you know, take it around the, the circuits, the, you know, the circus circuits. And I just remember hearing, you know, reading about, I forgot which book. I think it was, uh, what book is it? Uh, David Childress's book about Bigfoot. I, I do not mm-hmm. remember the name. But his book details uh, way back, even like colonial days, how the government were seizing, apparently, you know, seizing Bigfoot cartridges. So, I mean, that story goes way back. You know, whether it's true or not, we don't know, but just that, that, that folklore of, of um, that there, there are people in, in the government that were aware of Bigfoot and potentially sees uh, a carcass. Yeah, it, it makes sense because they certainly have an awareness of many things, and they just don't share their information with us. That's for sure. <laughs> we are it's like frustrated by that. So moving on from from Bigfoot, I mean, you talk also in your book a little bit about people with extraordinary abilities. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, So, yeah, so one of the things I kind of touched upon is I wanted to draw the distinction between what we read in, you know, mythology and our, you know, our pop culture, our comic book heroes, our, our, you know, what we see in movies to potentially uh, people who are able to do this in real life in the past and in the present. Um, some of the people I interviewed for the book, too, um, after some of their sightings have claimed to have increased cognition or um, one of them even now is practicing remote viewing. So it's like we, we have potential to do more um, than, you know, we can as humans. What, what that means exactly, I, I don't know. Um, but we know that there, there are certain people who have innate abilities that we don't. And one of the things I, I, I drew to is think about, uh, you know, a- animals, right? You know, mm-hmm. if, if you can think, you know, if you said there's a being that can run uh, faster than a human, would you automatically assume it's supernatural paranormal? No, you would say, oh, it could be a cheetah, you know. Um, right. And one of the, the – another example I use is um, – this organism that lives in the ocean that technically doesn't die. I mean, if you think about that, that's like something you read in a comic book. But these are things we have on Earth. So if we have beings on Earth that have all these abilities, um, it's it's quite possible that, you know, these abilities exist in some form. And and I think a lot of our our, our pop culture is, is derivative of that. Yeah, I agree. And I, say and, derivative, I say derivative in like a good way, not like a bad way where it's like boring. Yeah. But that's and, where, and, you know, and in your book you talk about these people, but they kind of fly under the radar. They're not people we would necessarily hear about. Yeah, like so Diana Pasolka in her book, American 
Cosmic does a really good job of like describing these these underground people, but um, who just kind of don't want to be known. But like they they have like some of them have these resources. You know they uh, they have wealth. They have uh, companies. Um, but they just so happen to maybe have this other ability too, or have an interest in it. So you know there's this, definitely this. It's just interesting to me that there's people who are, you know, high profile people who are trying to make this, this all, all work out in the open. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's super fascinating how some of them are obviously, you know, kind of uh, want to be anonymous maybe because of their, their, their profile in the community, you know, um, and there's some of them who are, who are just kind of keeping on the download because that's how it's kind of been throughout time. So it's really interesting to me about hearing about these, you know, these almost like these invisible people. It's almost like, yeah, I, in the book, I kind of compared it to X-Men, you know, like the X-Men in the comics, um, you know, for years, they're basically ostracized by society. So they kind of, they lay low, they go to the school, you know, it's almost like a school for gifted and talented. And um, yeah, but there are these people with extraordinary abilities that are, you know, basically in hiding because of public perception and, uh, you know, X Men is even based off the idea of X Men is based off of the civil rights movement. It's based off of racial inequality. So it's like that's another example of pop culture and real life blending together. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, you mentioned in your book of someone who has precognitive abilities, then he was able to predict the future with great accuracy. Now, I would think somebody like that probably would not want to be known uh, across the world because. They'd want to keep that to themselves. I mean, just think of what you could do with that kind of ability. You could build wealth. You could, you know, do all kinds of things with an ability like that. Yeah, and it's weird because, like, that comment, um, I believe Kevin Day alluded to it. That's, I think that's what you're getting at. Um, he's only made very few comments like that in in the press. And I think I was one of the first people to interview him where he, he talked about, you know, not just the Tic Tac fighting, but what happened after and that's, like, really brushed upon. Like, no one really talks about that that much. And it's really interesting to me um, because um, it's, you know, everyone always just goes to the Tic Tac and what he saw. And, I mean, he, he was a huge witness to that, probably one of the, the biggest ones uh, outside of David Fravor, who actually chased the UFO. But it's, it's always fascinating to me how Kevin Day afterwards had these lasting effects that no one really talks about too much. Yeah, talk to us about Tic Tac because that was an amazing reveal. Tell us about your thoughts on that. So, I mean, really, if, if you look at it, you know, where we are right now in terms of, like, UFO studies, uh, 2017 really kind of kicked the ball rolling. You know, Two Stars Academy of Arts and Science was able to facilitate the, the release of these Pentagon videos, but now the Pentagon finally said, oh, yep, yeah, they're real, um, after kind of, you know, beating around the bush for the past few years. And, I mean, if you look at the work of um, Ralph Blumenthal, Leslie Kane, and uh, Elaine Cooper at, the, at the, uh, the New York Times to kind of get that story out there, I mean, when you have an outlet like the New York Times to legitimize a story like that, others follow suit. And that's kind of what I mentioned in the book, too, how you know, I've worked in the media, I understand how it works. Um, and it's definitely it's a crossover thing. You know, you see print media report it, then you see that the cable news channels pick it up. But then you also see the other, you know, you see the, the – the, the shows like, you know, uh, Unidentified and all these other UFO shots popping up. So then yeah, Project Hollywood Blue Book that ran for two seasons, yes. Project Blue Book, yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, then, then there's more of a demand for it. But, yeah, definitely, I mean, 
you know, I talked to Ralph Blumenthal uh, when I interviewed him a couple of times uh, when the story, those stories first came out. I think he's quoted he's quoted in the book as well. Um, and you know, their their most important thing was, you know, this topic has been, you know, fringe for years. They had to make sure that they they did their due diligence because they're legit journalists. You know, they they vetted Lou Elizondo, they made sure he was credible, and then they ran with the story. And they, here we are, you know. And I was all these interviews I do, I kind of. I always kind of bring this up because it's like we are technically, if you think about it, we're living in the golden age of UFO studies. Oh, that's a good that's way to put sure. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. Now, here's the other thing, though, and PK and I have talked about this on the show a lot. What do you think is the driving force behind these reveals? Because let's face it, for so many years, the government beat up on abductees and people who witnessed UFO landing, sightings, whatever. Now, all of a sudden, they're not denying it. They're, in fact, coming out and talking about it. But why? Why now? you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah that's, that's a great question. Um, I think part of it's like a little bit maybe right place at right time. Uh, Tom Belano started this years ago before, you know, the 2017 announcement. Um, you know, he left one of the, the largest bands in the world um, to kind of to kind of do this. So uh, him just getting his foot in the door, talking to the right people at the Pentagon, uh, then being being put in touch with Lou Elizondo, um, and then you got people like Harry Reid who were supportive of ATIP from the start to where we're at now, where you have Marco Rubio and Mark Warner, other kind of big name, you know, um, politicians coming out speaking about this stuff. So I think part of it too, it's like. I think it's, you're, you're more comfortable. I think they're more comfortable talking about it now because even though it's, it's a big story now with everything going on, I think that um, they thought it wouldn't be as big as it was. I think that's what I think they underestimated um, the power in some way of credible outlets like the New York Times. And then not only that, uh, just the, um, the demand for, you know, the demand for stories like this when they're presented in a credible way. Uh, if you think about yeah, like, so right. the remember the hide it any longer. They've tried to yeah, hide yeah, everything yeah, exactly. and, and put a cap on it. And people, there's too many people involved, and the more we're involved, the more information that comes out. They can't hide anymore. Yeah, there's too many cell phone yes. cameras. Yeah, yes, and that's the truth. And you know, they tried to, in my opinion, I think they tried to bury it when this summer when they, they, they admitted, yes, and the Pentagon finally released a statement saying, oh, yes, those videos are real. Um, they've been real this whole time. They are, you know, official videos. And they did it. And I forgot which week it was. It was when everything was re- getting really bad with COVID. And it was still, mm-hmm. like, one of the most, it was still like one of the most number one stories on, like, a lot of sites that day. So that kind of backfired. So they thought it was going to get buried, but it didn't. So I think that speaks volumes in terms of, like, the interest. Um, that started from the 2017 New York Times story, and yeah. But Mike, let me ask you a question because since you are uh, someone who understands how the media works, you have an inside mm-hmm. experience with this. I mean, we all know that if the government didn't want that story to run, the New York Times wouldn't have run that story, no matter how well researched it was. So. That's, I'm sure you would agree with that, or maybe you wouldn't. I don't know, but I, it's very hard for these stories to come out, except for recently. And so, again, you know, we just keep wondering who's putting the pressure on the government to put these things out. Is it 
extraterrestrial? Is it that another superpower is going to announce it and then the United States is going to look stupid because they didn't? I mean, what what's the driving force? And it's great that we have good journalism behind it, but... Again, I, we keep asking, you know, but why now? Somebody's got to be putting pressure somewhere. What do you think about that? So I think the pressure comes from, so it wasn't anyone in the government that was advocating for a story, because at the time, Lou Elizondo left APIS. He was gone already. He wasn't working for the Pentagon anymore. He was mm-hmm. a civilian. He was a private citizen. So the other people they talked to, uh, these were military people who were able to talk uh, off the record. I mean, on the record, I'm sorry. And it's weird because a lot of people who were involved in this incident didn't sign NDAs because, I mean, it happened that so long ago. Was and so I was so surprising. Just, yeah, <laughs> would you be shocked? It's weird. Like, some people, though, some have, uh, but not the key witnesses. Like, David Fravor has been everywhere. Kevin Day has been everywhere. Um, because I think once that story came out, once Lou Elizondo came out in the 2017 story, it would be really hard then to retroactively tell them to shut up. You know what I mean? Even though they could have. Um, part of it just thinks they may be underestimated a little bit, you know, that that it would kind of turn to this thing where three years later we're still talking about it. Yeah. I mean, years ago we had a shaman from Peru on the show, and he talked about how many sightings they had had there and how many landings and how many journalism people, journalists, showed up to witness all of this. I think at one point, correct me if I'm wrong, PK, but I think they had two to 300 journalists witness a landing. Yes, they did. And then our next question, logically, was, okay, why didn't we hear about this? And he said, because the United States threatened Peru and said, if you reveal mm-hmm. this, guess what's going to happen? No funding for you, no help from us will make your lives miserable. So people never heard about this, and we heard about it directly from him. He was there. So it was a fascinating story. But, again, the United States has been known to put pressure on individuals as well as countries, apparently, to not reveal this information. Gary, you think that we have that much pressure on people, that, that we've kept these things secret for so long. You You would think, you know that it would be made known, somebody would slip somewhere along the line. But people are just paranoid of fear of retaliation. And they've been, a lot of them have felt the pain of that retaliation. Oh, so, yeah, that's for sure. So, yeah, and now, and you mentioned Tom and how he got involved with this out of, uh, he left Blink and came into this field. Now, there's been a lot of talk about Tom in the UFO community. I'm sure you've heard it about why did he get access to these people at the Pentagon. What's your what's your response to that? Why him? So, yeah, so it's interesting. The way Tom describes it and pictures it is, you know, he somewhat had a, a celebrity status. He wasn't just some guy walking off the street. Um, I mean, a lot of these politicians, their they're grandkids or their they're kids listen to Blink, um, so they at least, you know, heard of of the band he was in. Um, mm-hmm. And what he was presenting to them was more of a how do we bring um, science and space exploration to the younger generation before he even started kind of getting talking more about the UFO aspect of it. So he kind of mm-hmm. got them peaked with that. Um, and I mean, I've interviewed Tom in the past when, you know, he was a little blank in Angels and Airways. I've met him a few times. And 
I mean, he's very passionate. He's very, he's very sincere with his goals. Um, I, you know, him being able to get his foot in the door, definitely, you know, he's a celebrity, but I mean, Tom's, Tom was also, you know, he was on the email chain of commands of WikiLeaks hit. So when he was talking, when he was talking about that, he was emailing, you know, all these people and he, he wasn't lying. You know, you saw John Podesta's email on there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so like, I don't know. I, I always wanted to question too, because I know years ago, uh, Tom DeLonge campaign, he was on the campaign trail for John Kerry. So maybe uh, he still knew someone who worked in the White House who said, hey, um, if you want to come up, there's maybe I can get you in touch with somebody. Who knows? That was so long ago, though. You never know, you know. But I really mm-hmm. think part of it was, you know, he was able to use his, his celebrity status to kind of get his, get his toe in the door. And then they were able to, you know, listen to his pitch from there. And then once he was put in contact with Lou Elizondo, I think that's when, you know, to the stars really started to kind of take off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, it really does. And when you put it in the context of their new PR campaign about UFOs, changing the name, UAPs, from UFOs, um, yeah. and, you know, that all starts to make sense of why they might be interested in working with someone like Tom because he could kind of be the Pied Piper for other young people who want to know more about this. So well, yeah, it does make sense. It's make interesting. Sense. Yeah, it's interesting. Tom is always like, you know, he always brings up, you know, I'm trying to bring this to a younger crowd, but his fan base, most of his fan base are guys like me in, in their late 30s, you know, who kind of mm-hmm. grew up on, you know, listening to punk rock and stuff. So it's funny, like, you know, it's not necessarily reaching children, but it's it's still, you know, I mean, it's still kind of like a younger Oh, yeah, no, but, when we said oh, yeah. younger, we meant about your age because we are old. Very <laughs> <laughs> yeah. much, and I represent um, that. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it seems like it would bring in, you know, that whole new demographic is is what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and certainly he would have influence there due to his celebrity status. Yeah, and it's it's, it's interesting, too, because, you know, at first, you know, he was saying all these things that nobody believed him, that he was talking to all these people. And obviously he was telling the truth. And if you look who's involved into the stars, I mean, you know, Christopher Mellon, Jim Semivan, uh, Steve Justice, like these are legit people who worked in the private sector and level of the government for many different administrations. So it's like if they're on board, you know, these people are taking gigantic pay cuts to, to kind of do this project. Um, Tom's taking a gigantic pay cut, you know, and not only that, his reputation took a beating. People for years are saying he's crazy. Why would you leave blank? You know, what is he talking about? Um, so, all these guys, you know, are, are risk a lot to do this. So Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, no, that's, that is absolutely true, Mike, and we agree with you a thousand percent because, I mean, we've also heard people uh, go after um, Tom and saying that he's being used by the government and whether he knows it or not, and because why him, why not pick someone else? And so there's been a lot of criticism levied at him from different directions. So you're absolutely right. That doesn't seem to be a big benefit to him personally for getting involved with us. And that's, that's a legit question. Um, I brought that question up in my second book, you know, is, is he possibly being con- managed, not controlled or used, you know, but obviously it, it's his company, but you know, there's investors and there's other people who have a say too. So it's, you know, not, he doesn't call all the shots, but I think that, that at first that was a fair question. And I, I know 
UFO people, we're just so skeptical that that's a question that people are going to ask regardless of who it is. Um, I think a lot of people didn't know enough about his background to knew that, hey, he's, he's, a, he's one of us. You know, like people didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. They didn't. And there there was a lot of a lot of uh, angst over that, I think, in the UFO community. And I think there still is, too. It hasn't completely yeah, gone it, away. It, and a lot of it's, you know, it's, it's professional jealousy. You know, um, what To The Stars is doing is it's not for us. And I think when people realize that, they, they get it more. You know, it's for, you know, it's for the people who aren't familiar with this stuff. It's the people who you want to bring aboard. You want to get, you know, you want to get them interested in it. You know, that, that's why I think Unidentified, the, the TV show, that does such a great job of presenting this in a very mainstream, friendly way. Most of the witnesses are military or, or pilots. Um, and, and it, yeah, the majority of the cases kind of lean towards that. So I think, you know, that it being on History Channel, like those are things that help, you know, kind of you know, get it away from the whole the, the fringe element. Definitely, well, they can't it helps hide a lot anymore. Although they keep yeah. trying, it's coming out, and people are are hungry to know the truth. That's really the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, because I mean, we. I think, oh, sorry. I mean, I think that just takes, in general, people to kind of get interested, right? Because if mm-hmm. people aren't interested, like think about it. I mean, a lot of people aren't engaged in really anything outside their daily lives, so. If you can get people engaged and active and ask them questions, right? I think that's how you know demanding the truth. I mean, that's how you, that's how you, you cause change in anything. You get people interested and you get people um, pu- pushing, you know, pushing uh, agencies or um, you know uh, protesting the government. Like that's how you get things done. You know, you don't get things done just letting it kind of collect dust all these years. So, getting people interested and, like you said, you know, getting people to want to know the truth. I think that's the first step, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, not everyone's going to get there right away. But I think it's, it's it's good that more people are talking about this stuff. It is great, yeah. And and in your book, and you bring a a whole different perspective to all of this, a bigger umbrella with all of the paranormal. We're going to get to that right after this break. We're going to take a very short commercial break, everybody. But stay tuned. We are speaking with Mike Demonte. He is the author of punk rock and UFOs, Stranger Than Fiction. So, we'll be back. You're listening to Supernatural Girls Radio. Stay tuned. Pure essential oil, specialized mineral, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology. Astridium combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridian's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian, beyond your expectations. There are a lot of psychics out there. 
How do you decide which one is right for you? You look for someone who empowers you, who's practical and spiritually connected, who says, here are your opportunities, here are your challenges, and here's a way to deal with them, and then gives you your own toolbox to make your life everything you want it to be. Hi, I'm Corby Mitleid, and that's how I work with you. As a certified professional tarot reader, I've helped thousands of people for over 40 years through my toolbox. Cards, past life retrieval, numerology, spirit guide conferences, and mediumship. Whether it's career, relationships, finances, or your spiritual road, together we can replace your confusion with clarity. And you'll probably find a little laughter along the way. Visit me at CorbyMitlide.com to find out how to cross your bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. And tell me you found me at Supernatural Girls for a special gift with your reading. Corby Mitlide, the practical psychic for catching your tomorrows today. Find me at CorbyMitlide.com. That's CorbyMitlide.com. Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Are you frustrated with endless mantras, affirmations, and processes that promise to align your life with your dreams only to find yourself years later in the same space where you began? Do you feel like you must be doing something wrong because nothing seems to be working? Don't you just wish that someone could shift your consciousness for you and your life could align with your desires without all the effort? Well, your wish is about to come true. Hi, I'm Carrie Cannon, and I have a gift that allows me to align the consciousness of others to be in harmony with their dreams. The best part is, it requires no particular effort on your part. Upon listening to a consciousness alignment, people have reported instant energy shifts, financial windfalls, soulmate connections, healed relationships, physical healings, and more. To gain access to a free trial offer for my entire Manifesting Miracles library of consciousness alignments, go to commandmiracles.com now for details. Again, that's commandmiracles.com for information about our free trial offer. That's commandmiracles.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I'm here with my co-host, PK, and our terrific guest tonight, Mike DeMonte, who is the author of a wonderful new book. I highly recommend it. PK does, too. It's called Punk Rock and UFOs, Stranger Than Fiction. You know, before we get to the big umbrella of, that you put around all of this, Mike, you did talk about Skinwalker Ranch. Tell us about that. So uh, it's, I always describe it as like it's like this plethora of like 
paranormal. It's like the best of all in one place. Um, but I really wanted to kind of talk about um, what happens there. It's not just Skinwalker Ranch. I mean, we, we talk about it, but there's other paranormal hotspots throughout the country and throughout the world. And I want to try to make connections between them. Um, but one of the people I interviewed was uh, Dr. Travis Taylor, who was one of the, the, the lead scientists on the show, um, the, the History Channel show that came out this year. And I thought his background was very fascinating because he came in, like many scientists do, they're you know, very skeptical, but open-minded enough to kind of try it out. And obviously his experience shit was a bunch of things he couldn't explain. And the, the cool thing about him, a lot of people don't know about it, is uh, – he also likes to write science fiction. He's written science fiction books, too. So that definitely shows the type of curiosity a scientist like that has. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Skinwalker Ranch, to me, I mean, it's like basically everything that we're talking about all in one place. Um, yeah, so I definitely wanted to include that because there's other hot spots like this that I believe that are a similar phenomenon exist. You know, the whole Appalachian area, you, know, you talk about Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, Hellier, Kentucky specifically, um, so many places where just, you know, high strangeness occurs. Now, Skinwalker was owned by Bob Bigelow, but he sold it, right, to someone else. Correct. And um, Brandon Frugal is interviewed in the book as well. He's the new owner. Um, a couple of, maybe two years ago, I think he was revealed as being the owner of MJ Benias from Vice, revealed it. I think, I think it was Vice did the story on it where he came forward, this is who it is, you know, this is the guy. And then Brandon Fugel was on the show as well. And uh, he's actually been a really good uh, person on Twitter because he's interacted with everyone. And this is someone who wasn't a part of the UFO community. So it's interesting to see someone not a part of it kind of field all these questions on Twitter and just be very uh, just open, open in his responses. And um, he's very candid. And, you know, it's one of the things he said to me when I interviewed him for the book was, you know, this is something he actually loses money on. You know, this isn't a, you know, he didn't buy this place to try to, you know, make money off it, to try to do a TV show, to try to, um, you know, turn it into some paranormal amusement park. No, he, you know, this is something that's not making him money. But he's interested, he was interested enough in the weirdness to invest in the property. Now, when Bigelow owned it, Mike, he didn't seem to be able to get to the bottom of much with it because the, Phenomenon was so anomalous and would pop up whenever, and I know he had security cameras, security teams, and all kinds of, of things with eyes on trying to get to the bottom of this. And possibly, because, I mean, Bob is a smart guy. He was probably trying to mine any technology he could from this, but it didn't seem like it panned out. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, NIDS was the research team he put in place, and, you know, I always recommend the book that uh, – Comb, Comb Keller, one of the scientists, and uh, George Knapp, obviously from mm-hmm. Coast to Coast, and you know, he's a legendary right. journalist, that uh, they did about Skinwalker Ranch because it it, it, it shows you, you know, I, any skeptics should read that and say, look, these are real scientists with not much background about this topic that they cannot explain any of the things that they've seen. So, you know, even, you know, there's even word that ATIP um, was interested in Skinwalker Ranch, too. So there, there's definitely interest for sure. Uh, just, just the fact that we can't really lock down anything there and, and mm-hmm. define it doesn't mean that it's it's not true. It's just something where we can't. It's unexplainable. Everything that happens there, there's no there's no definitive. Right. That's yeah, not quantifiable. Bigelow would add sixty minutes exactly, and 
declared that uh, this was absolutely true about the extraterrestrials, and he, nobody still wanted to believe. Yeah, it's like, you know, this it's like you can't take the public there to see for themselves as private property. Um, so it's, you know, you have to go by the word of the reporting, you know, in the book. Mm-hmm. The, the, the TV show does a good job of, of showing some of the, the weirdness that happened. Um, yeah, it's just one of those unexplained spots. I think, I think the majority of people, I think once they, they read about it and they see it, they can say, oh, okay, this is something that's unexplainable. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, a reality that's intersecting with our reality. When you when you read the book, or when you watch the television uh, special, or you know, you hear these stories, there's, you know, they're definitely intersecting with ours, and the rules are different because oh, for even sure. as it was mentioned, you know, when the wolf was this enormous wolf was shot at, it didn't phase him one bit. So, you know, the rules don't apply. Our rules. For our world, don't apply to wherever this uh, these things are coming from. Very different. So, but you know, to go back to what PK was talking about on the 60 Minutes interview, <clears throat> I think the reporter was a little taken aback by his comment uh, when she said, "Well, where are the aliens?" And he said, "They're right under our noses." Mm-hmm. It's a great comment, and the way he delivered it, there was like no messing with him. You know, it's like this is the awesome. truth. What do you think you meant point. by that, though? They're right under our noses. Um, I, I think I think what he was getting at is basically that the the truth is right under our noses, or the the, the research is under our noses. The information is there. Um, I mean, if you want to go even deeper, if, if we're taking it literally, he's basically saying almost saying like they're among us. Right. right? Um, That's what I thought he meant. Value. Um, but it's like, I think that was a great little Easter egg or breadcrumbs for investigators and UFO researchers to kind of go nuts mm-hmm. over to kind of, that you know, great. try to figure out what he means. And a lot of times that's what these people do. You know, they, they, they can't reveal everything. So, so they drop little, you know, these little breadcrumbs for us to follow. And it's like, the more you read about this stuff and the more you see how it intersects like with fiction and in Hollywood, it's like, man, they, these breadcrumbs have been, sprinkled everywhere for the longest time and, and, and they're not stopping so it's like you can look back in, in you know in some in older books and texts and and then in movies and, and see something and say hey wait a minute you know that's based off of something yeah and now ufos you've had your own sightings and there's been a lot of talk about are they ets are they interdimensional we don't know maybe they're both um there's there's nothing definitive there yet either. So what did you come to when you started looking into UFOs? I mean, it's hard because initially, you know, the assumption is always they're from space, right? But they say, well, what if they're interdimensional? Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. What if that interdimension intersects with Earth or the other universe? You know, there, there's this theory that uh, physicists have, most physicists agree that that I've spoken to, I don't, I don't want to say most because that's, I don't have data to back that up, but a lot of physicists that I've spoken to or people interested in physics say that the idea of other universes and other Earths that potentially mirror ours is mathematically sound. Like, it makes mathematic sense. How? I don't know. I'm awful at math. Uh, they could probably explain that better. So it's like you have people in the scientific community who say, yes, it's possible. Um, so for sure. 
I think this this, this is all tied in. It's all tied together somehow. All this high strangeness, um, all of this is all tied together. Uh, I think the UFO phenomena is tied in with uh, the rest of the unexplained. Um, yeah, I think it's all under one big weird umbrella. It all somehow connects. It does make sense when you talk about it that way. I mean, it it, it does seem to to lead us to a place where we could understand that we are intersecting with other worlds, whether they be interdimensional worlds or whether they be uh, interplanetary, but there are other worlds with life. And once in a while, they intersect with us, or as you mentioned, they come in and out through these hotspots. So it's, I think it's time we stop making fun of this that kind of thing and start paying serious attention to it because let's face it we're at the mercy of whatever comes into our reality if we're busy making fun of it and not taking it seriously yeah that's a that's a great point you just kind of made me think mm-hmm. about something when you said that it's like so think about where we're at right now with ufos being start, finally started to be taken seriously so how long is it going to take now after this for then other stuff to be taken seriously Bigfoot, uh, other high strangeness, um, reincarnation, life after death, um, remote viewing, all these other areas. When is that going to happen next? So that's interesting to see, you know, how long it's going to take for those weirder topics to kind of progress. Yeah. You notice we get more and more believers as time progresses because they can't uh, turn it around and say that it doesn't exist anymore. But we st- the good majority, they're still afraid of it more than anything else. But as soon as they start acknowledging, the door is open, and there's so much more information for us to work with. Well said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we deserve that information. I mean, it's been There are people who have it, let's face it. There, some of them are in the government or shadow government or wherever the hell they are. They do have the information. And yeah. it's you know they're controlling it in terms of how it's being released or how it's being hidden. Well, it's being held hostage, and I don't know why. I think it's yeah. time that they quit playing the game. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, I mean, uh, Hellier, who is the ex-Canadian defense, uh, minister of defense. I mean, he came out all these years saying all this stuff is true, and it's like to me, it's like that should be a, a huge story. You know, mm-hmm. um, yes. It's gonna be interesting to me. Like I'm really looking. I'm not looking forward to this. Sounds awful. I, I don't mean to say this, but someday when the people who are involved in ASIP getting it off the ground, like Harry Reid, um, I think someday you know we're gonna find out more once they get older and once they pass. And, and I, I don't want to mean like that sounds awful. I don't mean sooner rather. I do not mean that. But I just mean someday that we'll learn more. I think once you know these people are no longer tied to any. Agency, because even now, I mean, uh, Harry Reid speaking about ATIF, he's very careful with what he says. Even now, even someone who is not in the best health and he's out of the government, I think he's very careful because I think he understands that the credibility of the topic is still something that's important. You know, so then you're having all these new people being read in, like, you know, Mark Warner, Marco Rubio, and other people who haven't been named yet, but they don't necessarily have the background, you know, that Reid did with ATIF as well. So it's interesting to see how these newer politicians are going to react when they, when, if they're read into some of the stuff that we've heard of. Yeah. And what about Eisenhower? It's been said that he had his own encounter. 
Have you researched that? Have you talked to anybody who's been able to confirm that? No, I mean, I've read all those theories too, which is always fascinating that presidents have said that they've seen stuff. Um, I think, I think um, Roosevelt maybe too may have had a sighting or, or maybe a Bigfoot sighting. Um, oh, no kidding. I forgot. Yeah, I think it's in, it may have been Roosevelt. I think it's in David Childress's Bigfoot book, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um that he, because he was known as, as, a, as a very brave hunter. Apparently, he had an encounter. So it's like, to me, it's like you know, you have these these credible people throughout history who have these sightings. It's like, you know, I think in the court of public opinion, that means more than the average person seeing it, um, for sure. But yeah, it's you know, I think this stuff is it's, nor- it's more normal than we think in terms of and- you know the frequency of it. Other than a personal experience, what do you think it's going to take to convince people who are skeptical about even UFOs today, even though the government has come out and said they're real? Um, what do you think it's going to take? I mean, that's a great question. I always like to answer it with, like, a, the UFO, a UFO could land on the White House lawn on live TV, and there would be a bunch of people who say, no, that's fake, <laughs> no way. Uh, I mean, I mean just look, look. Yeah, like, I mean, just look what people reject. I mean, people reject science. They, they they reject numbers. They reject things that they don't agree with. So it's like, you know, a guy can hit a home run in a baseball game and somebody will be sitting on the couch saying, you know what, that home run didn't count. You know, it was it was a little too close to the foul ball. You know, but, like, everyone else has seen it right. as a home run. So, like, the UFO could land right on the top of the White House. It could, it could land on the Eiffel Tower on live TV. It could, you know – uh, blow up the Great Wall of China. And there's some people who probably be like, nope. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I could not understand that thinking, but it, it's prevalent, unfortunately, but less prevalent because, again, we have so many people interested in paranormal today. It's I've never seen anything like it. I mean, PK and I have been involved with this field for so many years, and now all of a sudden, it seems, all of a sudden, that there's millions and millions of people that want to know more. That's a good sign, I think. Well, I think a lot of people yeah, have always been afraid to admit that they believe it or that they've seen it or are part of it for fear of being put down or laughed at oh, by yeah. the general public. And I think that's more the problem than anything else. Yeah, and you'd be surprised, like, how many people that you wouldn't think would be would be open-minded to this stuff are, like, uh, a couple years ago, or no, not, yeah, maybe two years ago, I did a, uh, a little seminar on this with some teachers at work just for fun. And uh, afterwards, one of them came up to me and told me she'd had experiences, like abduction experiences. And she never told anyone because she was, like, horrified of what the reaction would be. Mm-hmm. And then I did, I did another one where I was talking about, like, you know, I was talking about everything. I gave him all the crazy stuff. You know, I was talking about goblin sightings in, in like, Kentucky and, you know, all these things. And one of my coworkers, I never think in a million years would take me seriously on this or just take it so seriously, came up to me and said, you know, when I was a kid, we used to go to my grandmother's farm in that area, and I used to see little, little men running around at night outside. And uh, I would tell my cousins and brothers, and they saw it too. So it's like, Everyone has. I feel like so many people have seen stuff. They're just afraid to come through. But when mm-hmm. people when people have an outlet or they know someone who speaks openly about it, I think that makes them feel more comfortable. But it's like 
I just wish everyone was just brave from the start and just say, who cares what, you know, who cares what anyone thinks? Here's what I saw. And, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. Now, in your interviews with all these people uh, for your book, did anything really stand out as a big surprise? Uh, that's a good question. As a big surprise. Um, oh, let me think about that for a second. Let me uh, okay. flip through the book um, as a big surprise. So a lot of the um, quotes I was acquiring for my book, I was going, I was acquiring them as I was going along. So I was also writing some articles on my website loosely based off some, you know, some of the quotes and interviews I did too. Um, nothing really shocking, but I think Peter Lavenda gave me so much good stuff to work with. Um, Peter Lavenda is really, um, really takes a scholar, scholarly approach to the whole uh, ancient astronaut theory. Uh, he does the secret machines books that uh, to the stars puts out. And yeah, just, you know, the stuff he gave me was, just oh, there's just so much good stuff to go off of. Um, nothing really yeah, give us some ideas of what that was. And that's Peter Lavenda you're talking about, right? Yeah, so Peter Lavenda um, and Tom Blonde wrote the, the God's books for, um, for Secret Machines. So Secret Machines, there's a fiction and a nonfiction element. And the nonfiction element, Peter Lavenda kind of uh, takes the lead on that. And uh, I think he, he just historically, he understands so much uh, so much more than I do and so many other people of how um, societies interact, uh, how they view belief systems, and how how they view culture. Um, he has a really keen eye to that. So I, I really appreciated his input um, in the book and his library interview from my website in the first place. Um, I would highly suggest reading, after people read my book, of course, find my book first, but, <laughs> um, uh, his, his book, Secret Machines, Gods, because it really, you know, for people who are maybe turned off by um, ancient aliens, he really takes the theory, because what he says in my book, he says that Zechariah Sitchin and Eric Von Dakinen, they weren't necessarily wrong, um, but they kind, of, you know, they kind of took it too far. You know, how, how, do you, how do you rein that in a little bit? How do you take this theory that has water, right? It has, it has substance to it, but how do you dig deeper? And he does a really good job of doing that and getting it away from, oh, everything is aliens, which, you know, those theories have kind of um, evolved to through the years. So he really kind of reigns it in. So, like I said, it's more of a scholar, scholarly approach. Right, right. And then you also interviewed Leslie Keene, and that was about afterlife? Yeah, so uh, Leslie Keene, who, you know, she wrote uh, her book UFOs, which, I mean, if you think about it, that was one of the first big books that had all these people from all over the world, all, all these militaries from all over the world going on record. And I always felt like as big as her book was in terms of, like, successfully, I always thought it should, it, it, it should be more important, like, historically. Um, it is through us, the UFO people, we're like, oh, absolutely, that's, that's a huge book. But I feel like, you know, it should be in the history books one day just because of the importance of what she did. So, you know, once again, this is, this is Leslie Kane, who's a, you know, very uh, professional, high-profile journalist writing about UFOs. And then she goes from UFOs to writing about near-death experiences and afterlife. So this is something that, you know, she's, her reputation's on the line writing about this stuff. But, you know, she has the journalism background, and she knows how to approach these weird topics uh, in a way where 
um, the everyday person can read it and, and kind of get the subjective sense to it. And I met Wesley last year. She was in Houston speaking at uh, Professor Jeffrey uh, Kripal's class at Rice University. And Professor Kripal is a friend of mine that I've interviewed. He's in the book, too. And he invited me to watch her speak, and that's when I met her. And uh, I, anyone who's met her before, I mean, she, she's, she's awesome. And uh, she isn't somebody who is involved in this stuff like UFOs like every day, you know, like some of us are. But um, so, so when I presented her, like a lot of the stuff that she's writing about, she's ahead of the curve because the idea of the consciousness and after death is something that the UFO community has been talking about for years now. It's sort of become more mainstream in the UFO community. So for her, right. I think that was a really good thing to hear, you know, just to think. Because she, she really did make a logical progression, and she did it kind of subconsciously. Like she started writing about uh, near-death experiences, not knowing that the UFO community was kind of getting interest, interested in this at the same time, too. So that's pretty cool how she subconsciously made this progression. It is. And I think you're also making a very valid point about how her book and other people's books even though they were just incredible and, again, very well-researched and presented, have not gotten to the celebratory status that they deserve for for what they brought to us. I mean, it's really a shame because I certainly know how much work goes into these things. And, and they do deserve more attention and more accolades for the work that they brought forward. It makes a big difference. And you you talk about that in your book, you know, how a lot of this, these things, a lot of the people you interview have done solid research and not just yeah. off-the-cuff experiences. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, impressed me with um, UFO book that Wesley Kane did was when I'm reading it, I'm thinking of, of it as I was writing this book, if I was the journalist working for the New York Times doing this, how much digging was required. I mean, because this was written years ago. I mean, nowadays we have internet, we have all these easier ways to find people, but it wasn't as easy back then as it is to find people nowadays. So I was like, the amount of digging and sourcing she had to do, like, uh, I can't even imagine you know, how hard that was. Yeah, it was painstaking, I'm sure. <laughs> Very difficult. So, again, um, going back to, you mentioned goblins. <laughs> we have to hear the story about the goblins. What did you find? Yeah, you I was going to ask about that. That's very curious. Yeah. So I, I really want to direct people to watch the documentary. Uh, uh, it's on Amazon and it's on YouTube. Hellier. Uh, it's two seasons. Uh, it's by uh, Planet Weird. Planet Weird is ran by uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk. They do, they do, they do a paranormal traveling museum and they do a paranormal show, and uh, I met Greg. He was actually in Houston last year. Uh, I met him. Really nice guy. I always wanted to meet him because as soon as I saw Hellier, I was hooked. Um, and they're doing basically DIY do-it-yourself documentary with with what looks like a Hollywood budget, the way they shoot it beautifully. And it's done in a way where, yeah, I, watch it. Trust me. You guys will absolutely you'll, you'll get hooked. And this show is somehow able to pull all of this weird stuff together. And that's one of the things uh, Greg said to me in the book when I interviewed him, was that's what a lot of the production companies didn't like. They shy away from that. They want to basically pigeonhole, this is, our right, we're studying ghosts. We're studying Bigfoot. We're studying UFOs. Well, Hellier was like, there's all this weird stuff going on. And it's all somehow, you know, there's UFO sightings in the same area where there's also these weird old creature sightings. There's 
um, there's paranormal high strangeness. You know, there's always weird things occurring in the same spot that Bigfoot was seen too. So it's like, you know, they're not afraid, you know, to kind of push apart from the segregation of all these topics. And um, the documentary does bring up a lot of uh, books that are obscure. But if you're into this stuff, as soon as you realize what they're talking about, you kind of get that mind-blown moment. Um, one of them, they reference a book called, uh, how do you pronounce it? Uh, Eudora, which is, it's at, uh, Oh, Edadorfer. Edadorfer, there you go, yes. And when they referenced that, I had to like, stop for a moment. And I got chills because that's a very obscure book. And, the per- and small world, really small world. So the person who emailed them about the reference, so the, the reference is basically about somebody in that area. This book is written in the 1800s about somebody who encountered someone, a being in a cave who showed them this underground world. That's what the book is about in the 1800s. And it was written in that same area. So the person who actually suggested that to them, to the Newkirks, was a student at Rice University who is one of Professor Kreipel's students. And Professor Kreipel suggested that book to me years ago. So when I saw that, I had this like crazy epiphany. And then this summer, I was at Rice University doing, uh, I, I spoke in front of Professor Kreipel's class, and then afterwards I saw the, the um, archive that they're building. And one of the, the, the graduate students was like, yeah, I was the one who tipped them off about that book. And I, I was like, mind-blowing. So I think it's really cool that, you know, you're having these graduate students in college are interested in the stuff and, uh, you know, helping tip off these, these filmmakers and kind of connecting all these pieces to this crazy puzzle. Now, as they connect those pieces, were there goblins involved with Hellier? Uh, I mean, you don't see any. Like, they don't find any, but I don't want to spoil it. It gets weirder than that, if that makes any sense. Like, <laughs> it's, like the goblin part? Like, because there is a goblin, a goblin UFO story, which I'm sure you must be familiar with. Was, was that in Kentucky? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. It was in the south somewhere. Yeah, it, 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 it references to how, you know, um, Kind of, kind of those, those, those cases too. So it's like the hook is the goblins. Oh, what are these crazy little goblins? And then it goes to, I mean, so I don't want to spoil it, but just to kind of give you an no, idea. That's okay. but, to, yeah, no, that's okay. I started watching it a while ago. I have to get back to that one. Uh, but I, here's the, the other thing that I noticed, and I know you watched Project Blue Book also, but they did talk about, I believe it was the Kentucky Goblins. And they pretty much pulled the story apart and said it was nonsense on, on Project yeah. Blue Book, the recent series. I was surprised they did that. You know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was not a fan of Project Blue Book, the show. Um, I watched it, and it just I had trouble watching it. Um, the first season, I was like, all right, I'm going to give it a few more episodes. And it's not that I, – I appreciate what they're doing with presenting these stories – uh, I have no problem with them, you know, making a fiction show about these real life things to get people interested. I just thought the show was very formulaic, and you're right. Some episodes, the, the, the things they take liberties with, like you know, like the Kentucky Goblin one. I don't think every episode gave every case the respect it deserved. But yeah, that's, so that's well, my opinion on the show. Here's what here's what I noticed about Project Blue Book, Mike, and tell me if you saw the same thing. I liked it, just the fact that they had a show like that on the History Channel. 
I did not like them pulling stories like that apart and saying that they were all made up because I don't believe that story is all made up. But as time went on, it seemed like in the second season that they were beginning to give these stories more credibility. And then they didn't get renewed. I was wondering yeah. why. Well, there's a uh, petition. I think some of the, uh, the 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 showrunners want to bring it back. Um, I think they did like a, I don't know if they're doing I don't know if GoFundMe or something, but there was uh, a social media thing about it. Um, Alejandro Rojas, who, who's awesome too, he's a great UFO journalist. Yeah. He interviewed them right after the show, and I think he, he had him on his Open Minds TV show. And I think that the producers want to bring it back. I just think they need to find a different place for it. Um, yeah, I hope they I, do because the chemistry between the two guys, the two leads, is just great, and it just grew as time went on. But I did like the fact that they were, were starting to give more credence to all of these cases rather than saying that they, you know, were these people were lying or whatever the hell they said about the Kentucky <laughs> Goblins. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I hope they make it back on the air. I missed that show. We we need more weird shows like that, so yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I see the Travel Channel has gone pretty much all paranormal, which is exciting. And I hope other places will pick that up because, it's again, it is of such great interest to people. And we don't have really many answers at all, if any. But it's it's time that we open up our minds to it. And I think... You know, as PK, you were talking about at the beginning of the show, it helps us to kind of come off our high horse with how important our stupid problems are and take a bigger look at the universe. And whether this is interdimensional or whatever it is, it's still fascinating, and it does pull us out of our the minutiae of what we get all worked up over. But well, we can't yeah, escape it. Best we take a good look at it, see where it's coming from. Mm-hmm, yeah. right. And I, and I think what you were saying, how, you know, kind of how, you know, these shows, you know, we need more of them and how they really help kind of explain the minutia of all this weird stuff. Um, but, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me is um, all these shows that we see on TV, there's hundreds that are never made that are, are pitched or, or wanted to be made. Like, you know, I interviewed, I think, three or four different uh, producers, you know, from CW to Morningstar Entertainment to uh, people who work for the History Channel and the A&E and, um, and just from my own personal experience with dealing with, you know, producers and stuff, there, I feel like there's so many shows that could be, could be because this is such a popular topic amongst those crowds, you know, like the History Channel, Travel Channel, Discovery, all of them, you know, they, they want this content. And uh, a lot of times just, you know, what is, you know, all the stars have, no pun intended, but all the stars have to be aligned for these shows to work, but the interest is there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It it is very much there and it's up to these producers to start thinking outside the box like hell you're you know, that like you said has become a big hit and it's very much outside the box and I'm sure they could never have sold it to uh to any of the networks or the broadcast outlets most people are familiar with. Yeah, even even small town monsters who I uh interview in the book, uh, Seth Breedlove. They've been approached too, you know, with Hollywood, and they want them to change their formula. It's like, right? But, but the thing that Small Town Monsters does so well, it's just so authentic. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 
the the way they uh, they do their investigations, and uh, so it's like, you know, it's I feel like the the producers are going to start taking notice of these shows for real. Like when it's all said and done, you know, Seth Love and Greg Newkirk and all those people, I think they're really kind of starting this DIY movement in, in the paranormal films and series that are going to change how eventually how Hollywood does it and how, you know, these big production companies do these TV shows. Like, I think Unidentified did a good job um, because I think because of the people who are associated with it, especially I think that, you know, having Will Zano to the stars associated with, with the show, I think it really gave it a credibility. But when you watch it, you know, it doesn't feel like you're watching something that's really rigid, if that makes sense. You're, it, feels like, it feels like you watch something informative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not just for entertainment. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it, it does kind of take you back, or at least takes me back <laughs> many years <clears throat> to Rod mm-hmm. Serling, who was That's... such a genius and and was made it? us all oh, think differently about the world. And look how long ago that was. And and everybody, I mean, not everybody, but many people. He had a huge audience. He was. Oh. He just knew how to do it, and so I'm hoping, like you said, producers today will will take that extra risk. I know years ago I worked on something about portals with a production company. I thought, oh, this is going to go big time, you know, (laughs) they'll take it, right? And they were like, no, we don't want it. You know, they shopped it around the networks, and, and I'm like, how could they not want this? This portals is a key. Portals are a key to so many things that are going on in our world that are unexplained. How could they not want this? But again, I think fear does a lot of that. They're afraid to acknowledge what's really there. I guess. Well, I mean, if, if you look though, if you look um, fictionally, you look at Stargate, a huge that was a huge TV show and franchise. So, you know, do you think the producers may have known that that was based off something? You know, we, I mean, I don't know. Well, you do talk about how <clears throat> Hollywood has had a lot of influence from our government. That's an important piece. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Oh, good point. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch, uh, yeah so uh, one of the guys interviewed uh, Robbie Graham, who does uh, called uh, Silver Silver Screen Saucers. Um, and one of the things he references is that fact that you know, this has kind of been going on forever. And we, we think about it, you know, because we're American. So a lot of our films are made here. So it's this idea that, you know, America always prevails over the big bad aliens. And, you know, that, that's a, that was a story I did, and I really wanted to get his his, uh, his, his views on it. Cause to me, it's always like, you know, I think that's a reason why we don't, the general public doesn't necessarily perceive it as a threat, because we've just been ingrained in our heads. And even pop culture, you know, you see aliens everywhere. They're on... You know, they're on skateboards, they're on clothes, they're on, you know, uh, mm-hmm. gas stations, you know, so it's like it's part of our pop culture now. Well, it is, but like you said, <clears throat> what's being fed to the uh, to the filmmakers and then to us as people in the audience is that one-way street. The aliens come in, they invade, we beat them, end of story. I mean, except for things like E.T., but yeah. it's often presented in an adversarial, militarized type of way. There's got to be yeah, reason for that. I, I think that's part of it. You know, I mean, UFO and alien alien stuff aside, I mean, the military has always had kind of a 
uh, a working relationship with Hollywood too, with like war movies. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been a working relationship, not, you know, not in a conspiracy way for, you know, um, I don't think so in that sense, but yeah, I mean, there's something there, you know, that if, if they were to work with Hollywood to make these army and war movies, why wouldn't they do the same with something regarding UFOs? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But why ET then? What was the shift? I don't know. Um, you know, apparently ET was, you know, there were some people chirping in the ear of Spielberg to kind of, you know, hey, do this, do this. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think yeah, and part of that was also we can put that in the same yeah. category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I think guess the end result was feel good that came from it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It can't. It can't all be you know gloom and doom. It's got to be some feel good too. Yeah. Well, that, that those were great movies. I mean, they were tremendous oh, movies. Yeah. They, I mean, they had a huge impact, I think. And I'm interested to see the next direction that this will all take with film. It doesn't seem like there's been. Well, you tell me because you're really on top of all of this, Mike. What have been the most recent movies about? UFO encounters or whatever, and fictionalized. I'm talking about features. I can't remember anything in the last couple of years that's really caught my attention. That's a good. Like Arrival came out a few years ago. That was the one. Oh yeah. Where, uh, yeah, the UFOs came, and but they were communicating differently. Yeah, um, that was kind of weird. Movie, I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was more of like it was more like for me. It was more like one of those like, emotional reaction movies, I guess, and then. Um, there's this movie on Netflix, uh, Allison Brie is in it, it's called Horse Girl, and it flies under the radar because it's not advertised as a UFO abduction movie, but, like, it, like, the whole time you're trying to figure out was she really abducted or is she going crazy, and for anyone who's ever had a UFO experience, an experiencer, or, or people are interested in the topic, you know, will totally get the movie. Um, I'd, I, and I, what's I, the name I, of it again? Did you, did you it's say It's called uh, Horse Girl. Horse, horse girl, horse. like horse girl. Yeah, it's it's really obscure, but it's on Netflix. It's got Allison Brie in it, so it's it's it's, it's you know it's got big name people in it. It's just um, not a lot of UFO people because it's not advertised as a UFO movie. But you know they had when they wrote the movie, they definitely had like the UFO experience or phenomena in mind. Okay, well that's something I'm we're going to check that one out for sure. But is there anything else? I can't think of anything else. I don't know. Uh, outside of documentary, kind of been a, I'm, I'm a drawing blank spot too. there. Same. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. They're they're not concentrating on any films uh, about that, and there's certainly some good stories out there, like the Andreasen affair, that Universal never did turn into a movie, but should have, and they still can today. But I I hope they do because it would be a great movie. But there are there's definitely been a lack of those types of movies in the last number of years. So, the next step. What's going to be the next step, Mike? What do you think is going to happen? I mean, we're waiting for that Pentagon report to come out. They promised us the report that they have ET technology. I, I don't know. It's like, for me, I'm really interested in not only seeing what's next in terms of, like, what's in the story, you know, that a big outlet does about this or what the Pentagon reveals. Um, it, it's hard. I, I'm really interested to see the... Uh, the app, the that to the stars is developing uh, the, the 
the Vault app and the Scout app. I'm oh, sorry, the Vault is not the Scout app, which is basically going to try to come up with a way to kind of use to track uh, sightings so people know if they're seeing a UFO or they're just seeing a plane flying by or there's something else in the air. But to mm-hmm. also kind of tie that into uh, other, t- other texts as well. So I'm really fascinated to see what that's going to look like when it rolls out. I think that'll mm-hmm. be fascinating. And then I really want I really want to know what's going to happen next with all these people being read in because we know some of the people, you know, who who in one of the latest bills, you know, uh, Marco Rubio is one of them to discuss, you know, wanting to put more funding in this. But I want to know some of them because more people have been read in on this. Um, you know, Christopher Mellon from To the Star has read in a lot of people in the Pentagon. So I'm really curious to see who else will come out uh, and say, hey, yes, I know this. But the thing is, I think a lot of them know just, you know, Think about it. If you have the chance to interview these people, there's so much stuff going on right now. I think the UFO question may seem like it's out of left field, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, um, yeah I, I think you got to ask the question at the right place at the right time. Well, we're looking forward to more information, and I'm very interested, I know PK, you are too, to see what's going to be in this Pentagon report that they have promised to release about ET technology. And Again, you know, I'm I'm hoping that that will will lead to more more information. But it's something we, All we can, can do only hope for. They always shortchange <laughs> us, though. They yeah. like, it's like teasers all the time. We just yeah, don't I get know. the rest of the story. Let's have the whole story. Well, Mike, this has been a wonderful evening spent with you and talking about your great book, Punk Rock and UFOs: Stranger Than Fiction. Um, so please keep in touch with us. I'm sure you're going to be writing another book. We'd love to have you back. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. This, this is such a great conversation. Uh, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. And thank you for the kind words about the book. I appreciate it. Oh, oh the book's definitely. great. Keep us posted, Mike. Thanks again. And everybody next week, we'll be back with another great show. And until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girl.